many things before you, God. I lay them down, all that has captured me, steered and distracted me from who you are. I cast down every idol I hold. I destroy every God I have made of my own. I lift up the name of the Lord. Be sacrifice to you king of my heart you fill me
Good morning. Today's message is actually last June's message, but I ended up with the flu and bronchitis and all those fun things. And I kept asking God, should I just set it aside or should I stick with it? And along the way, I got so many forms of encouragement from him to continue. It's to be for today. And even when I was sick, he would all of a sudden give me a thought in regards to it. So I'd, I'd put it down and, you know, and leave it. And, and then when I hear whew, the song that Taylor sang this morning, it's so encouraging because when you preach... You beg God always for the right message. And Adol can attest to this. When I was young and arrogant, you have no idea. Um, I decided one time I was going to give the the preach of preaches, and I just... First of all, after the first hour, I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) And afterwards, he comes up to me, and he simply says with a nice smile on his face, this can be a lonely place, can't it? And he was right. And I've never forgotten that. I always want to give what God wants you to hear. Believe that. I wrestle with it a lot. Um, It means a lot to me. Um, I titled today's message... Um, an urgent message from Paul. I, uh, I believe this is what God wants us to hear today. As a way of introduction, why over the history of the church do so many men and women of God Constantly pray for revival. I think one of the reasons is because when revival happens, the Spirit of God is no longer grieved with the condition of God's children. The church becomes empowered spiritually. It becomes free from apathy and no longer dominated by sins. There's a fresh start, hence the word revival. I think one of the Lord's greatest concerns next to seeing as many rescued from hell as possible in a free will life, that is that his children will not fall in love with this present world. Because if they do, they will eventually neglect the things of God. And then they will sin the sin of idolatry. And the devil has the victory. I think this morning's portion of Scripture is one of the greatest portions that has to do with the spirit of revival in the Bible. Not exclusively, but one of them. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you and we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who has given us everything, who has blessed us with everything, who has given us the hope of hopes, eternal life, with him and with you, of which we're so thankful. Lord, I beg of you this morning, may my words be your words. May this morning's message lift your saints up, encourage your saints, and if necessary, were, were possible, to help some to be on a, a better road with you. And if there's anyone here this morning that does not yet know and understand that they need to be rescued from this present world and the devil and sin and destruction and hell, that they would just embrace you this morning, accept you as their Lord and Savior, and enjoy the rest of their life with you. Now we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our text this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, the first two verses. I would, I would only comment that, and I do sort of apologize for this, there's again a lot of scripture references in today's message. I tried to avoid too many. Um, I can only suggest that you might want to follow, it's optional, the screens versus your Bible because I will not, for the sake of time, be waiting, which I usually do, for all the pages to stop moving so I know everybody's there, but knowing that the scriptures will be on the screen, um, and for the sake of time, I, I won't be. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. May God bless the reading of his scripture. I've broken down these two verses because I, I just believe there's so much in there that Paul is saying to us. And the first one is the first word, therefore. It's important because and whenever you see the word therefore starting out, it's letting you know that what was just written prior to that is very important in understanding and believing what comes next. So you can think of therefore as a bridge. And in this case, it would be um, referring to the last part of Romans chapter 11, of which I'll read, starting in verse 33. Paul poses a question here about our God and his authority, his supreme authority. 
Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Or who first gave to him that it might be paid back to someone else? Which is a little different than the scripture is saying. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The wisdom, the sovereignty, the omniscience of our merciful God is described by Paul in those verses. He's using them to make us understand that God is the ultimate authority, period. It is God. And when God instructs and inspires the writing of anything in the Word of God, you can believe that it's being penned by God, even though it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or Paul or Peter. It is the word of God. Amen. Never let anybody tell you different. There was this great movement about 30 years ago where the, the liberal part of religion of Christianity that wasn't genuine said, we've decided the word of God contains the word. No. That means that maybe there's some things to satisfy them that are still in there. No, 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 no. The Bible is the word of God, period. Amen. That was a good amen. <laughs> I like that. So in Romans chapter 12, verse... 1b, after the word therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul wants us to understand in the way he wrote it in the Greek that was chosen that there is intensity in the word urge. In other words, to use more modern English, he's saying, listen to me. Forcibly, he's saying this. Listen to me. Therefore, because of what we just established, God's authority, you now need to listen to what I have to say. That's what the meaning is behind the word urge. And by the mercies of God. The mercies of God. Who here who knows Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, hasn't tasted the mercies of God. It is an amazing thing. It is an undeserving thing. But we're so blessed because he's a merciful God. Psalm 86, 1 through 15, 17, excuse me. Um, 86, 15 through 17. Psalm 86. But you, Lord, 
are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. He is a merciful God. Isaiah 63, 8 and 9 say, For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. He's speaking of Israel. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of the old. Paul's saying, please remember how merciful God is towards us. Ephesians puts it so well in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're so unworthy, but again, we're so blessed because he's merciful. God, through Paul, is trying to make us really slow down when we read this portion. I don't know how many times I've even preached on this before. How many times I've read this. But God really slowed me down this time. Romans 12, 1c. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Key which is your spiritual service of worship. Jesus Christ, for this to work, must be our Lord and Savior. Amen. A question. Do we act one way on Sunday and a completely different way the rest of the week? That should be cause for concern in our relationship with him. The next two verses are quite a contrast, but they pretty much show the difference in the spirit how Christians to today can be. Exodus 16, verse 8. Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to fill in the morning. For the Lord has heard your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. So many times in every God-inspired church that's 
preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God, the leadership in those churches come under fire so many times. But we're just the representatives of him. So when anybody does that, it's not really the leadership. They're taking on God. Good to know. However, the next verse is, is, stirs the hearts of, the, of, of Christians who love the Lord. Um, I remember when I first met Adiel and Sylvia, they had this verse on their front door. Joshua 24, 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefather, that your forefathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That just gets me going. That just stirs the juices for Christ. By the decisions in our lives, do those decisions include counsel and prayer asking God? Because the, the result can either be blessed by God or we can end up simply saddening him by our conduct. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, to do with conduct. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification and according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Are we an encouragement? Hence to say, are we inspirational in some way of our conduct in obedience to Christ? Stir others, draw others to him. I remember when I worked at Safeway, there was this guy who came over and I had scripture by Jeremiah. No scriptures were allowed in our cubicles. It just sort of happened one day it was there. So he saw it and he goes, oh, you're a Christian. I said, yes, so am I. I said, wonderful. Okay, within seconds he left. He walks around the corner and he sees some friends and he says, how about those blanking raiders? What a great game yesterday. With one of the, the describing words of the most vulgar that it can be conjured up. And I'll go, Christian. Gee, I hope he never tells those guys he's a Christian. We should be careful how we conduct ourselves with others. Romans 12, 2a. And do not be conformed to this world. The key words being, do not be conformed. 
Now this has a tendency, this part of the scripture, has a tendency, a tendency to split a large group. The spirit-filled Christians will say amen. The carnal Christians at best will be disturbed if not seeing their tempers fly. But it's always been that way. These words, and Paul knew it when he was, say, when he was writing them by inspiration from God, that they'd have that effect. Boy, now the guy's meddling. Now he's going where that's just none of his business. I have my personal life. Really? Is God deaf? Did he just go blind? First of all, he created us. Second of all, he knew everything before the foundations of the world. What we were going to say today. What we were going to say tomorrow. If you have a problem with that, you're not understanding who God is. He is not us. He's not limited. He's limitless in all his attributes. But if I'm just a guy, let's look at a couple of one not-so-modern-day preacher and one modern-day preacher. See what they have to say on it. See if they agree with Paul. See if they agree with the scriptures. First, a quote by Spurgeon. The heart of the believer is Christ's garden. How many like the garden? How many have gardens? It's okay if you have a gardener to take care of. It's all right. Nothing wrong with that. I just slow down when I see flowers. Sorry, vegetable guys. It just doesn't work that way for me. I really do. I, I made the mistake of taking my poor little kids to Butchart Gardens in, in, in Canada. Sadly, we were there all day. It was a very hot day. And the only thing that saved my bacon was they had this big puppet show for a couple hours. And so then they were just fixated. And I just wandered. And I could have been there for a week. It's just something about a garden that's well done. It's such God's creation. Anyway, that wasn't in the message. <laughs> the heart of the believer is God's Christ's garden. He bought it with his precious blood. He enters it and claims it as his own. The analogy is he sees us as a garden. He wants to cultivate us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to, to become men and women of God that he can use for his cause. A garden implies separation. Oh, there we go again. That S word. It is not open common, old British term. It is not a wilderness. It is a walled around or hedged in area. Would we could see the wall of separation between the church and the world made broader and stronger. It makes one sad to hear about Christians saying, well, there's no harm in this, and there's no harm in that. Thus, getting as near to the world as possible. 
Grace is at a low ebb in the soul, which can even raise the question of how far it may go in worldly conformity. Clear? Pretty clear. Yes? Good. Thank you for the nods. So for a modern-day preacher who's known to be fairly well-respected in most places, Billy Graham. Billy Graham speaks on separation? Yes, because Paul did, because God believes in it. God wants it, and we need it. Billy Graham, some may contend that the way for the church to make the world a better place is to become like it. But whatever the church, whenever the church does this, it ends up compromising its spiritual authority and losing its influence. Instead of changing the world, the world changes it. God does not want to isolate ourselves. In praying for his disciples, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. John 17, 18. If we isolate ourselves from others, we have no impact and demonstrate a lack of love. But neither does God want us to become like the unbelieving world. We are to be separate, refusing to adopt its motives, its attitudes, and its patterns of behavior. The Bible warns us in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, no, excuse me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let Christ fill your life, and there won't be room for the world. End of quote of Billy Graham. Another quote. The Christian is not ruined by the living in the world, but by the world living in him. Some Christians have one foot in the world, and one foot in Christ's camp, and it doesn't work. As Christians, we must be careful to what we listen to, what we watch, and what we participate in, because the world offers many entertainment choices that are clearly not acceptable to our Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 12, 2b. No world, 
But this is the good part. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? How do we renew our mind? The Word of God and prayer take us a a long ways in that direction. And coming to church is a great thing. It's an encouraging thing. It's an uplifting thing. You ever come through the doors just kind of, it's tough. I, I, for about 20 years, I was on the road every Monday, every Wednesday, and I barely made it here. Dinner came later. And many times I was beat. I, in my mind, could have easily justified, go home and just take it easy. Put up your feet, flip on the tube. There's got to be something there. But I didn't. I came here, and every time, I left pumped. I don't mean that in a boastful boastful way. I just was. Man, yes, God tells us to go to church. Psalm 119, verse 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? by keeping it according to your, that is God's word. With all my heart I have sought you, and do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured that I might not sin against you. That's what the word of God does when we read it, or should. I'm always blessed when I put the Word of God down and sit back. I'm much better off than I was before I read it. Psalm 51, verses 10 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. I actually pray that every day. When God is in control of our lives, our minds will be renewed. Romans 12c. We're almost done, folks. So that you may prove. In other words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's what's good and acceptable and perfect in God's eyes. Not necessarily ours, but God's eyes. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Or consider him who endured such hostilities by sinners against himself, 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are times in the Christian life that it gets tough. You might have not so pleasant a workplace, or you might have some not so pleasant relatives or neighbors. He knows. But if you stay with him, he will continue to bless you. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. You want to know God's will? There you go. Got to help. A food analogy. Is our life with Christ just a side dish, or is it the main course? Jesus Christ has given us eternal life. We are going to live forever in heaven. If he isn't the main course, what else in our life is so important that we choose it over Christ? Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say, Is it blessed by God? And is our conduct honorable as we represent Jesus Christ? With eyes closed and heads bowed. A century ago, a missionary named Bill Borden who was, far f who was from a wealthy family, left it all behind for the mission field. On the way to China in Egypt, he was stricken with a deadly disease, and on his deathbed, he simply said, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Are we satisfied with a life that has little or no time for a relationship with Christ? Are we possibly heavily involved in this world and its time-consuming pleasures? If you profess to be a Christian, yet find such satisfaction in your worldly pleasures and pursuits, you really need to check to see if you're a truly saved Christian. And if you are truly saved, does he reign first and foremost in our life? Remember, the Lord will never settle for second place in anyone's life. And the last question before we pray. Are you or someone else or something else or a besetting sin stopping you from experiencing a victorious life in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for such godly servants like Spurgeon and Billy Graham. And we just ask that you'd bless this time. And if there's anyone here 
that's a Christian that wants me to pray for them and pray for their life and their conduct. Simply, everybody's heads are, are, are down. Everybody's eyes are closed. Just raise your hand and I will pray for you. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Anyone else? And if there's anyone here who's not yet a Christian, who realizes that it's time to turn their life over to him, if you simply raise your hand, I will pray for you and recommend you go talk to Adel or Sylvia after the message is over. Anyone at all? Heavenly Father, thank you. We have been so blessed this morning by being here, by enjoying the fellowship, by having a wonderful worship service about you and you only, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We anxiously await for the day when we will see you face to face, when this world will be behind us and you will be before us. We thank you now in Jesus' name, amen.